Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Damn! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. First things first, as we hit the countdown for college football, week zero commences in just about 46 days, we're making a slight adjustment to our segments for the rest of the year, around the world is going to be replaced with four downs. Got to play off the football theme after all. Podium, tee-up, sprint, they'll all stay the same, stay as is, but this will allow us to focus a little more time on a little fewer topics. Speaking of topics, not one for the week, but a congrats to back-to-back Stanley Cup champ Tampa Bay Lightning. Quite a run for the Tampa Bay area sports these days. Holy Moses. Yeah, we wish we were that, Detroit. I'm not sure the NBA will ever be done. In fact, I think this season is just going to bleed into the next one, but looks like we do have maybe some semblance of a series with Phoenix and Milwaukee. Next week, we will make sure that we get into the Olympics a bit, including asking an athlete from an Olympic sport if there will be a noticeable difference with no fans in the stands, among other things. For this week, a little football and golf, to get into but before that let's go to the podium ryan the lectern is yours we'll stick with the uh the usa olympic theme here we're gonna go to usa basketball if you hadn't seen team usa which is full of nba all-stars lost on saturday to nigeria a heavy underdog and then proceeded to turn around and lose last night to australia another heavy underdog this is embarrassing, Team USA. You were 54-2 and in exhibition games since 1992 when pro athletes could officially start being in the Olympics for Summer Olympics. You lost two games in three days. What are you doing? I, I just don't get this. You have the best players in the world. You have literally, just to name a few, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Bam Adebayo, Bradley Beal. I mean, these guys are all... Jason Tatum, all these guys are all stars. They're just tremendous basketball players, and you lose to teams that have like maybe one or two NBA players. That's embarrassing. That's I don't know if this has to do with camaraderie, coaching with Pop being the coach, and not Coach K, or if this has to do with them not giving a you know what about the Olympics or USA as a whole and the reputation they carry for our country and our basketball, which we should be winning gold medal easily every year so that's embarrassing you need to pick it up um if you don't nothing anything less than a gold medal is an embarrassment to usa basketball so you better get in gear quick because it's not looking pretty guys pick it up or go back to the college guys that actually wanted to be there and were happy to play for their country For me, I had a few different topics in mind for my podium, but one um, is going to go up to the tee-up segment next, so that will cover, get us two covered. So for my take here this week, I want to talk crazy-ass sports fans. I know we talked a little while back about the fools at the NBA games, but um, how about the very uninvited, creepy fella at the Scottish Open last week? In case you missed it, a lad casually strolled to the tee box while Rory McIlroy and John Rahm waited to tee off. He was so nonchalant that they first thought he was with the tournament. Dude grabbed Rory's six iron and his puppy dog driver head cover and walked to the corner of the tee box. He set down the head cover, 
as if to tee it up and took some practice swings with the mashie until officials, Rory and Ram, figured out he was not supposed to be there. Fortunately, it didn't get out of hand with an attack a la Monica Seles years back at the French Open, but holy scary. What is in the F are fans thinking? Clearly, this chap was drunk or stoned off his ass and was non-combative, but maybe it's time to beef up security a little? Send a bobby with every twosome or an air marshal? People are way too freaking comfortable for my liking, that's for sure. And with this practical lawless society we live in, what happens when one of these now laughable situations turns violent or deadly? Sports world, time to get a handle on this. Oh, and speaking of this, how about the Vegas iHeartRadio-like shoot-em-up threat coming out of Denver this week for the All-Star Game? A plot plus guns and ammo were uncovered? What the hell is wrong with society? Actually, I've got plenty of theories. If you listen to the podcast enough, you, you probably could guess what those are. But this isn't a show about politics and news media, so we'll drop it. Moving on to our tee-up of the week. Ryan will tell you who or what, and I will tell you why. This week we will tee up Kansas football slash athletics. Yeah, I mean, I can't even begin to do scary the scary depth of this story justice. But do yourself a favor and go take five minutes and read the July 11 story from the Kansas City Star. You can get it at kansascity.com. The headline paints a picture until you read the story in holy hell. The headline reads, He reports football teammate threats to KU. A secret document paid him to go home. Good clickbait, intriguing enough, but oh, this is like straight out of a, a movie and not a, not a happy movie. Uh, hey, Les in KU Athletic Department, what if this would have turned into violent assault or murder? Les Miles belongs in prison after I read this. So do the players who made the threats and the alleged attempt to cause harm with the loose lug nuts. And some key figurehead in the Jayhawk Athletic Department should roll with them too. We send our kids to college, and especially if they are an athlete, expect them to be protected. That wasn't the case for Caperton Humphrey, and for that, we tee up Kansas athletics and football and wish upon them the death penalty for all Jayhawk sports for a few years. Yeah, it's that bad down there. Go read the story and tell me I'm wrong. All right, now to our newly minted football-oriented round-robin of topics, Four Downs. Not much is changing here, just a seasonal theme and one less topic, so we can, again, theoretically, spend a little bit more time on each topic. First down, let's get into this week's British Open, or, as it is also referred to more widely, the Open. can get a little confused, we might call it the Open here when we're talking about the U.S. Open, but this is clearly the Open, it's the oldest I don't know about you, Ryan, but I missed this one last year. Um, like the U.S. Open, this is one that I feel tests the very best golfers, the very best in golfers with crazy conditions, sometimes, not always, treeless courses and therefore wind that whips, wrist breaker rough, and bunkers I'd need to use a shovel to escape. This year's rendition, the 149th, should be the 150th, but of course we bagged this tournament last year, will be held at Royal St. George's in Kent, England. Who will raise the Claret Jug and become champion golfer of the year? For me, I've got a few guys with some bucks on them. No surprise if you listen to the podcast at all. I'm still riding my four winners from earlier in the year, but need to hit one here to add back to the betting coffers. My foursome starts with a guy, if you listen, I've had in every major this year. He's got to pay off eventually, right? And that's Xander Schauffele. At plus 1,600, he's one of the top favorites, and he's been a regular in the top five in majors. Is this where he hits pay dirt? Uh, could be. He's got the game suited for it. Next up for me is Lee Westwood. Hometown boy, as in at least English boy. Still short a major. Um, I believe if he goes made, if he goes winless in this one, he will have the longest streak. Something for no majors with somebody with as many wins as, or as much money as him in a career. Something like that. Um, at plus 3,300, a bit longer odds, but you know, still certainly in play. And if his putter gets hot like it was early in the year, and I think he played pretty well at the Scottish Open too, he's got a chance in my book. Um, my third guy is Paul Casey. 
also due to uh, win a big one and often hanging around in these things, especially over the last few years. Also plus 33 um, and an Englishman to watch. I actually put money on him way back weeks, weeks ago, um, thinking I had a little bit of a hunch on him. So we'll see if that pays off. My fourth and final uh, and pick to win it is Louis Ostazen, a.k.a. Shrek. So close, so often. We documented that here before. I want to say six or seven runner-ups now. Um, a couple runner-ups just in the last two tournaments alone this year. He has not won on the PGA Tour since the 2010 Open. At plus 2,200, he won't be a big payoff, but I think he gets it done this time around. Uh, gets to raise that Claret, Judge, like, Claret Jug like Shrek. Uh, I'll be rooting for him if he's up there in contention. He deserves to get a dub. Um, also of note, I've got a little bit of money on Spieth. Not, he's one of the probably top five favorites or so. He's close to his A game. His last major victory was at the Open. Um, Jordan's one I always root for, so I may as well put a little bit of coin on him. As for a sleeper or a long shot, I put a little something-something on three guys, actually. Um Richard Bland, another Englishman at plus 18,000. I think maybe he learned a little bit uh, from the U.S. Open and, and his rise and fall there in the last two rounds. Obviously from the area, it's worth a shot. Put a buck on him. Matt Kuchar at plus 20,000. He's another one of those guys kind of on the outside looking in for majors. He's been in contention at the Open before. He's consistent off the tee. He's got a good short game. He's a good putter. Um, he's right up there as well, but my true long shot bet for the purpose of this discussion is a guy who got great experience at the U.S. Open, was temporarily at least in the lead on the on Sunday, and at plus 35000 would be a tasty payoff on the $5 bet I laid on him, and that's Mackenzie Hughes from Canada. He's my sleeper, he's my long shot, um, and if he pays off, we'll be celebrating with some brews here uh, in our own clear jug next week. Ryan, let's get your foursome and a sleeper pick. Yeah, like you said, so happy that the the open is back. Um, just it's it's one of the best. Obviously, it's a it's a major, but it's just so fun to watch. Um, like you said before, but a lot of guys have uh, withdrew already due to COVID and different travel restrictions, which kind of sucks. Um, some notables: Hideki, Bubba Watson, uh, to name a few. Um, but yeah, I know there's really strict protocols and stuff going on, and players are not too happy with it, but. Uh, fans going to be there, so that's going to be a big boost. I think thirty-two thousand per day, if I'm not mistaken. I think that'd be that's really good. That's great. Um, and I think there's a lot of contenders in this one. Links Golf is so much different. Like we talked about, takes the right game. Um, weird, weird guys have won at Royal St. George's in the past. Um, last two champions there, Darren Clark and Ben Curtis. So guys that you don't really think of when you think of um, great golfers, but. Uh, they they have a major, so they must be pretty good. But uh, starting off, I'm going to go with the guy that I picked to win the Open and was correct at with the correct score, and that's John Rahm. I think he's playing the best golf in the world right now. Um, played really well at the Scottish Open last week. Um, I think his game fits really any sort of weather, course, setup, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that he's got a really good chance this week. Um, my second guy is Patrick Cantlay, a really solid win player. Uh, he's played really, really well this year, and I think he's due for a major. Um, kind of a stoic guy. He doesn't really show too much emotion. He doesn't get too high or too low, but I think this guy has he's the ability to go low, and I think that this could be his week. Um, third guy, uh, one of my favorite up-and-comers, uh, is Victor Hovland. Uh, I think he's as solid as they come, really steady. Uh, had to withdraw from the U.S. Open because he got sand in his eye and then he couldn't couldn't finish um, his round that started with that. So he's looking to avenge that. Um, and he's a Euro guy. He's actually from, um, I don't even know where he's from. Denmark. Denmark or something, yeah. Or Norway, Denmark. One or those, I don't know. He's uh, one, of, one of those Scandinavian countries. But he, he's solid, like I said. I like his game a lot. Um, so we'll see what happens then. And then my fourth guy was the same as yours, Louis Oosthuizen Shrek. Uh, two really good major performances in a row. Can he turn into a, a third and maybe a championship? Uh, possibly. I think this would show that he's really, really good and just that he's finally can get over the hump. Um, and then I, I'm also going to say guys to not count on. Um, Dustin Johnson, he's playing terrible. Um, hasn't played well really since the Masters last year. Uh, another guy, Brooks, I know he says he's a Lynx player, but 
I just don't know if he's got it in him this he's week. He's a major player, but not a yeah, nice player. Yeah, I, I just don't know. And my dark horses, I have a few. Um, Daniel Berger didn't play great at John Deere last week, but he's got a solid game. Uh, Paul Casey, you picked, I think he if he won it, that would be really cool, being an Englishman. Uh, Ricky Fowler, who I have as my long shot on FanDuel. Um, yeah, he's, he's also due for one, so could be his week. Then Cam Smith, uh, another great win player. Aussie. Uh, the mullet man. But I'm going to go with my winner being Patrick Cantlay at 9 under par. I think it's going to be close, but Patrick will prevail. Um, fun fact on Rom I saw today, one of the reasons he's got a really short backswing, if you watch him, actually Tony Finau does too, and even for his size, he's like 6'4", and he's a big dude. He said it's because he was born with a club right foot. And mm-hmm. so the only way that he can control the power in his backswing is to keep it shorter and to keep his balance. So, wow, that's a pretty remarkable story. I'm surprised that hasn't been brought out by, like, a Jim Gray or, a, you know, one of those other, you know, long-form storytellers for the networks. Um, what was the other one that I'm thinking of? Jimmy Roberts, not Jim Gray. Jim Gray's a dick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it'll be interesting. Love watching it. I... I've heard the course is super green because it was a very wet spring. Um, one of the reasons I love the British is when the wind's just 15 to 20 constant, gust to 30, sideways rain. Um, not that that's fun to plan, but it's kind of fun to watch the guys and how they can get around. So I hope it's not just sunny and calm the whole time. Chances are it won't be. But um, if it is, I think they could probably eat the course up, although it's it's the, I think it's the, old, the oldest English course in the Rota. Um, you know, so we'll see, but that's a fun one to watch because you can get up and and watch it first thing in the morning. And Ryan will be on a golf trip this weekend, so we'll get a chance to wake up and have our coffee to the open. All right, second down from one sport measured in yards, or I guess this week technically meters, uh, to another football. As we lead up to the college football season, let's take a weekly dive into Spartan football, position group by position group. This week, let's look at the offensive backfield, i.e. quarterback and running back. Ryan had a lot more time to research this, so we're going to let him lead the conversation here, and then I'll just weigh in. Plus, he's young, and I just go on his facts and, <laughs> and learn numbers that way, so it's a good way for me to get uh, get a lay of the land. Ryan, what do you say? Yeah, this is the Mission State backfield preview. I'm going to start by saying I believe that Mission State's offense um, this coming fall is severely underrated. And uh, you'll you'll hear why I think that in a minute, but if the offensive line can perform right, which we'll get to here in a couple weeks, but mm-hmm. um, we're going to start with the backfield and with the quarterback position, the most important position on the field, um, especially for Michigan State with a uh, new year one A for Coach Mel Tucker and staff, uh, first full year, no more COVID. Um, so let's meet the boys. I think uh, quarterback's division has a much higher floor than it has in the past couple years for Michigan State, which is really good to hear. And we're, I'm going to go down the list of how I believe the depth chart will look heading into week one. And I'm going to start with quarterback number 10, the guy I believe will be the starter, redshirt sophomore Peyton Thorne um, from Naperville, Illinois. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to be the starter week one. Uh, I think he's shown a lot of tools to be a solid quarterback in the small window we had watching him last year. Uh, he kind of gives me Kirk Cousins vibes with the way he plays, good leader, um, pretty good scrambling ability, pretty accurate passer, uh, smart, heady. Uh, his dad and grandpa were coaches at, son, yeah. at North Central in Illinois, um, so he knows he knows football well. He's, like I said, mobile. He's pretty accurate. Well-connected with heady players, very guys like Jaden Reed. Um, been working out with Kenneth Walker, who I'll get to in a couple of minutes, but has coming out party against Penn State last year. Uh, played really well. Uh, didn't finish that game great as a team, but showed that he could be really good. And he's like, like you just said, he's a really good rapport with his wideouts. I think that they trust him, and uh, I'm just excited to watch him. I think he's gonna take some big steps. And if he's, if he's, he's got to be steady. And he, if he's steady, I think that that's what we need. Don't turn the ball over like Rocky did last year. I think that. Except for against Michigan, he was pretty bad um, with with being loose with the ball. But moving on to the second string guy, uh, transfer from Temple, graduate transfer number 15, Anthony Russo, 6'4", 245 quarterback. Um, played for Temple for a few years, was starter. 
Um, I think he pushes the position floor way up. Um, definitely looks like he likes to take chances. He had 44 touchdowns and 32 INTs um, as quarterback of Temple. Has a really big arm, has some good experience, but I don't know if his game can translate to the Big Ten this quickly and learning the offense and whatnot. Um, obviously, Thorne has the head start on that, which I think gives him the leg up and then just the fact that he probably isn't as much of a risk taker. But if Thorne were to not play well or get injured, uh, I think Russo would be a fine, fine backup, better than we've had in the last few years. I mean, when if he got hurt last year, Rocky, I mean, Thorne was the quarterback, but they, he was emergency and he wasn't didn't have really any experience. And Russo has a lot of experience. Um, and way better than when Lewerke got hurt and we had Rocky and he couldn't do anything. So, um, Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think I agree with that order. That's kind of what I want to see, at least from the limited things that I've seen out of Russo. It would not surprise me, although it's a little tricky because the first game is a Big Ten game right out of the gates on the road on a Friday night at Northwestern. Um, it would not surprise me to see not necessarily a platoon. I'm there they're not that different that you know I think back to the old uh Stanley Jackson Joe Germain days at Ohio State with John Cooper when one was a little bit more of a runner the other one was a passer that's not the situation here um but it would not surprise me especially in some of the you know more yawner type of games that are tucked in there in the early part of the schedule that we definitely see both just in case injury or maybe because they can't figure it out in fall camp I mean obviously Thorne's got a big head start in the program uh, in the offense and all that kind of stuff. He's got the rapport. Um, you know, Russo clearly brings in some respect. I think it definitely raises the floor. I think it makes everybody else better. It'll be interesting because if Russo does end up being the backup, that that's not necessarily a bad thing for Michigan State. But, you know, in today's day and age of, wow, wow, I want to play now and guys not willing to wait, we already saw a couple guys transfer out. You know, what does that mean for the, you know, What's his name? Noah Kim, Hamp Faye. Faye, Hamp Faye, and then the new kid that's coming in who was just Elite 11, Caton Hauser. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think those guys, probably if they're good enough, they realize they're going to have to sit for a year or two. But, I mean, Thorne, technically, if he wanted to reuse next year, he's years. got four years left. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good problem to have, honestly. I mean, you get a guy like Kirk Cousins and Nickel kind of battled it out when they were freshmen or redshirt freshmen, and then, you know, then Cousins had the job for three years, and similar with Connor Cook, he ended up winning it out and having it for three years. That's not a bad thing, um, but in today's day and age, it's just an interesting thing, you know. I mean, you're going to have to have depth everywhere at quarterback in the country, but um, it'd be interesting. I, I would hope that they don't use that when they make the decision. Ultimately, I think they need to just pick a guy who they can win with, and I think that at least from the limited of that we've seen of both, I, I think that for me right now, Thorne's the guy. But yeah, if it's Russo, hey, and he does well, I'm I'm all about that too. I mean, it's it's a he's a one year guy, but if that makes the position better, then that's fine by me. Yeah, in my mind, whoever wins the job, it just shows how that they're pretty good because mm-hmm. both of them are pretty solid and well prepared. Yeah. yeah, and I just I I do think both are going to play early. I just really hope we don't do the. D'Antonio mm-hmm. musical chairs quarterback thing we did a few years ago. Yeah, uh, no. We don't need that crap. We don't need head games right mm-hmm. now. But moving on, third string, guy that had a coming out party in the spring game, Noah Kim, redshirt freshman, number 14. Uh, pretty good arm. He's a little smaller. He was, he was injured um, coming into last year, so maybe isn't as strong as he should be. But he has showed that he can at least be serviceable with his spring game performance and if called upon an emergency, then Hamp Fay um, is a true freshman, number five. Um, he's six five, six six, really athletic, former receiver in high school, turned quarterback. Um, I think he could be really good in the future, but he's definitely going to take a red shirt this year unless many things go wrong. Um, definitely needs to add weight, but has a chance to be really good. Like I said, can be valuable for the scout team to get some some good um, good experience there and push the team. So. And another thing I've noticed, you know, every year Michigan State has had some sort of success. We've had, they've had good quarterback play, and um, I think this year um, that rings true again. Uh, hoping that we can get some solid play, consistent play, um, take care of the ball, um, and run the offense better than it's been. I don't think it can get much worse than it's been for since probably 2017, 2016. So um, looking forward to that. 
Moving over to the sidekick of the quarterback, the running back position, a position that is absolutely stacked for Michigan State this coming fall. A lot of nice-looking players, and I think a couple guys in mind uh, that are primed for big, big years. And I'm going to start with, I think we're going to have some co-starters at running back to start the year, but I think this guy's going to end up being the number one back, and that's transfer from Wake Forest redshirt sophomore Kenneth Walker, number nine. Um, dude is jacked. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen a picture of him, look him up on the internet. The dude is he's five nine, but he's a he's probably two hundred pounds of just pure muscle. Um, huge. Um, like I said, not very big, but coaches love his ability. He's he's quick, but he's not overly fast. But he's strong, powerful runner. Um, hits the hole hard. He reminds me kind of size wise. Well, maybe upper body stronger, but a ringer. Yeah, he does. He does. And maybe not as fast, but he's he's strong. And in 20 games at Wake Forest, he had 1,158 yards rushing and 17 touchdowns, and that's with a injury shortened last year, um, and obviously it's a short year in general. So uh, I think Kenneth Walker the third, I think he could have a really big year. Looking forward to see what he can do. Definitely raises the running back position, running back room. Um, here's a good leader as well, and um, the coaches love him. So. They think he's good. Uh, I believe that hype. And uh, the guy who I think he's going to co-start the year with, and that's a guy that had a really, really good 2019 than last year, uh, had the had COVID before the season, was dinged up a little bit, and that's number 24, Eli Collins, redshirt junior now. Um, like I said, 2019, he was really, really good, almost had 1,000 yards. I think he was only six yards shy. Um, I expect him to be back to the, that 2019 form um, from – the Twitter space um, and people that have inside information say that he looks faster and stronger, stronger than before. Um, in the in interviews um, about a month ago, running backs coach William Peebler was saying that he he looks really good and uh, better on in person than he did on film in 2019. So that's really good to see. Um, I think he needs to become a better pass blocker. He's going to play a lot. Not a great pass catcher either. So hopefully he can insert that into his game. I just hope he bounces back because he's a key player. He brings experience and I, I just like his game a lot. He's, he's a hard worker. Um, we saw he had, he's got home run ability. Mm-hmm. Um, Buying a crappy offensive line too. Right. And and sometimes the best thing that can happen is when a guy gets a little, has kind of a eh here because he's hurt or whatever and then has another guy come in and push him that that gives you a stronger running backs room I think that's definitely the case here just like the quarterback I mean the floor the floor of this group is way better considering last year we didn't know that Collins was you know know, dealing with aftermath of COVID and you know we're all like what the heck with Connor Hayward who had quit the program and come back starting Um, when he's your starter you may wonder a little bit about your floor, but now that he's you know a situational, almost H-back type of guy, great pass catcher, can make good plays, can probably make some plays in the kick game too, then that just makes you better, If he's if, assuming he's like your third string. Um, and then you still have Jordan Simmons too. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think that the position is stacked. It can withstand some injuries. It's got some guys that have a little bit of versatility to plug them into different spots. And just make the offense that much more versatile too. Yeah, going on Jordan Simmons, number twenty-two, is going to be a sophomore this year. Showed a lot of burst last year. He's a nice player. Um, he's really quick. Hits the hole well. I think he could be a really good pass catcher. I think he's definitely going to carries, not exclusively, but mm-hmm. um, definitely think he's going to be in that rotation. He's he's nice. He's a nice player. Um, and Connor Hayward, I think he's going to really be a third down back slash H back. And I think that good pass protector. Yeah, he's a great pass blocker. Really good pass catcher. I think he could be a return guy, like you said. Uh, hopefully, he's lost a little weight and gotten faster. I think that that would be good. We need pop in the in the return game, which we'll probably get to in a few weeks yet. But um, he's a veteran. He has experience. Uh, might be a little very on the depth chart, which he, I'm sure he'll understand, um, as he's not the most athletic guy, but still very serviceable player for Michigan State. And then another transfer coming in. Uh, just enrolled the summer. Harold Joyner, Auburn transfer, 6'3 back. Uh, didn't get a ton of carries at Auburn, but he's H-back material, man. He's he's a really good pass catcher. A uh, bit of a Swiss Army knife, can split him out wide. Um, I think he could also be a beneficial in the, in the return game, so looking forward to see him 
Um, wearing green and white, and then a couple other guys that probably won't get much run unless they're kick return. Donovan Eagling, redshirted last year from Texas. Um, and then Davion Prim, who's coming in from Oak Park, um, will be a true freshman, definitely redshirt, but has future kick returner written all over him. I know he returned kicks in high school from what I read and was really good. So that's the backfield. Um, yeah, I hope that they all have big years. Um, looking forward to watching them here in like eight, less than eight weeks now. So it's coming yeah, up. No shortage of weapons. Slowly to, but surely. Yeah, yeah, no shortage of weapons compared to where they were even last year. Great use of the transfer portal at both positions. Um, good versatility. You know, you can withstand some injuries. You can you know, kind of move some guys into positions where they can make some noise. Um, you know, and you know, uh, football season, especially since these guys didn't go a full year last year, you know, it takes its toll on you. So it'll be interesting to see, but definitely exciting. And then here in a week or two, when we get to the offensive line, that's going to be the telltale. If the offensive line can be just the average, I mean, they've just sucked for the last few yeah. years. If they can be average, let alone good, that's that's what the offense will be based on. So I'm looking forward to when we have that discussion. But um, good news is there we got a lot of starters coming back and and some uh, good future pieces in play there too. So good stuff, Ryan. Good homework. Nice to ride your coattails on that mm-hmm. one. Uh, I used to do that for my dad. I'd tell him all about it, and then he just re- asked me during the games, who's that, what number is that, who's that guy? So we'll plan on that this year. All right, third down. Staying in college football, let's talk about the worst fan bases in college football. I'm sure some of you can figure out probably how I'm going to come across on this, and maybe even Ryan too. You know, worst is obviously subjective. Um, for me, I'm going to define worst as having big parts of these three things. Most arrogant, but without current standing or reason to be. Mouthiest and least affiliated with the actual school. Yeah, I'll take heat from some on that last one, but hey, my pod, my rules for judging. I've got some strong ones, and I suspect Ryan will be similar. I might have a few surprises in here, so we'll see. I'll go first, and then we'll get to Ryan. I'm going to count... Um, count down to my worst starting with number five and that for me might surprise some people but it's Penn State Um, like I said this might surprise a few but I've had personal experience in State College the tailgate was great people are good until you get in the game then not so much Nittany Lions fans are living on Joe Pa's success still and while yes the whiteout looks freaking insane penn state fans have a history for being a little too arrogant for their most recent 35 years their last title was what 1986 yet they can be pretty mouthy like throwing things at opposing fans ice cubes snowballs whatever personal experience definitely um, while I can't speak 100% to the unaffiliated fans not being from the area, I'm going to take a flyer and say that there are plenty. Obviously, Pennsylvania is a big pro t- state, too, because you got you know the Eagles more nearby than the Steelers, but you have the Eagles and the Steelers. You've got Pitt, you got Penn State. But I'm going to guess that there's an awful lot of people roaming around with Penn State gear that have no ties. Number four for me, Texas. Talk about a fan base that is stuck in the past, like way in the past. That Vince Young-fueled BCS title from the early 2000s seems like eons ago, but the fans in the school are arrogant enough to run through coaches like water while demanding they get back to those natty ways. While, sure, a perennial top 25 team, the Horns are not a consistent contender, so the arrogance is unwarranted, and this bolsters the level of annoyance. You don't run into many Hook'em fans here in the Great White North, but by all accounts, they are also equal parts mouthy, and the majority in the state, without a college tie, lean that way. Make them ripe, makes them ripe to be smack in the middle of my top five. Number three, Tennessee. Although most of my personal encounters with Vols fans have been benign, and Tennessee folks are generally cool, there's an Arrogance and expectation that makes this fan base as annoying as a pile of mosquitoes when you're trying to find your golf ball in the woods. UT fans, what have you won in the last 20 plus years? Seriously. You might not be overly mouthy, probably because you're drunk on whiskey, which say, no, more power to you. 
um, except when it comes to running potential coaches out before they do a presser, <clears throat> Rutgers coach. But I do promise you, you've got way too many unaffiliated fans, thanks to Thomas Rhett, Peyton Manning, etc., and the fact that you're the only major college football program in the state. Number two, Notre Dame. Now we start to hit closer to home, literally, here. On one hand, you helped Michigan State get into the Big Ten in the late 40s and early 50s. I applaud that, still applaud that, respect that. Um, definitely a lot of ambiance on your campus. It's fun to catch a game there, touchdown Jesus, all that rigmarole. But talk about arrogance, my goodness. There is only one program with more arrogant fans. And connection, you're the national Catholic program of choice dating back to the days when you were one of only a handful, always on TV. So the so-called Subway alumni are at an alarming number. You haven't won a natty since Suffren was coach. You once hired a guy who lied on his resume to get the job. Then a coach fat enough to play Jabba the Hutt without a bodysuit, who, oh, by the way, falsely accused an MSU wide receiver of punching him on the sideline. Indy fans are annoying. They think they're better than the rest, but aren't even manly enough to join a conference for football. Mm-hmm. And number one, and probably one that Ryan definitely shares with me, and not a surprise at all, sorry Tom and Dave, is there any surprise with my pick here? I mean, I did graduate from Michigan State after all. I'll preface this with I have some in my family who went there, and we have a very mutual respect for each other's programs and schools, little jabs here or there, but generally congratulatory and so on and so forth. But alas, this isn't about them, it's all about the Walmart Wolverines out there. You know, the ones who walk around in jerseys all day and have their off-brand gear bought on sale from Walmart, maybe even with an employee discount. The arrogance here is off the charts. The funny thing, too, it isn't the grads, usually. It's those who didn't go to CC, let alone U of M. Quick to mock me as couldn't get into U of M. Side note, actually, I did, and I chose Michigan State. Call us little brother, etc. Wolverines fans are about as hard to take as any. No, they are harder to take than any. Arrogant, check. Mouthy, check. Unaffiliated, double check. Take your big house, highlighter yellow pants, doofus coach, program with nary a Big Ten title since 2004, and one shared natty in 1997. By the way, none before that since 1948. And shove it. Ryan, fire away. How do you define it, and who's in your top five worst college football fan bases? Yeah, I'm going to go similar to yours. Uh, I'm not. Mine's not as in-depth as yours, but kind of had to do a little research because I don't have as much experience as you, but um, number five, Texas. Is that um, a nice way of saying I'm old? No, yeah, you are a little older than me. But, um, Texas is number five for me. Uh, I, I, for me, the biggest thing is irrational fan bases, and they're pretty irrational fan base. I mean, they've had like three coaches in the last, what, like eight years? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, four now. Jeez. Mac, Mac, Mac. So they Charlie, basically ran Mac out. Herman and now um, Sark. So, yeah, they did run Mac out, and look what he's doing at UNC. Uh, go figure. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just irrational, crazy. I mean, I, I've read stuff about him just being arrogant and just not very nice people. Um, number four, the Vols. Uh, I think you get him at three. Another very, very rational fan base. They literally kept Shiano from being the coach. And look what happened. You had Jeremy Pruitt, who had some off-the-field stuff, and now you got another coach. Um, and Shiano actually had a good first year at Rutgers. So, uh, they go through like a coach a year. Yeah, they're, there. They're, they're so irrational and they suck because they had like one good year under Peyton, with Peyton Manning. They think they can. They have the cold checked in zones, the creamsicle orange, and they sing Rocky Top, and that's about yeah, all they Yeah, they got think going. that they're freaking Ohio State. And but, boat gates on the river there. Yeah, I mean, they think they're Ohio State, I guess, because they had mm-hmm. one good year in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Vols are number four for me, number three. Another rational fan base that hasn't done jack in the last, how, since 2005, Reggie Bush, USC. Um, I mean, they've had a couple of good years just, cause, just because they're USC and Annoying band just their too. name. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, Clay Helton's been there for a few years now, but also had Sark, also had Lane Kiffin, ran out. Um, Pete Carroll left, obviously, for the Seahawks, but... Just another fan base that's just full of people yeah. that are irrational, arrogant, um, just because they're, I mean, storied program, obviously, won a lot of Rose Bowls, 
good amount of national championships. Mostly from the 70s, though. Um, 60s, 70s. But yeah, so. just not... Just a little arrogant for my liking. Um, number two, go down to Gainesville, Florida. The Gators. Um, another very rational fan base. Shockingly that... Uh, Dan Mullen's been at Florida as long as he has. I think three going in his fourth year. Um, I mean, who was there? Will Muschamp was there for like two years, fired. Um, McElwain, who was having had some decent years, fired. Um, and then, obviously, Urban for that. And they were really good with Tebow and Percy Harvin, Aaron Hernandez. Um, but another fan base that's really irrational. I always think they're going to win the national championship. Always ranked in the preseason top 15. And their fans think that they're... I've heard that they're pretty violent, actually, down there. They're, they've taken to the urban thug mentality, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but another just irrational and annoying fan base. Which brings me to my number one. I bet you can guess what it is. The team down the road. Speaking of irrational and annoying. A2. Arrogant. Ann Arbor, the Michigan Wolverines. Ann Arbor, AA. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry to my friends they are Michigan fans, but it's I'm true. Um, Walmart Wolverines galore. Um, there's a reason why everyone says that Michigan's fight song or theme song should or saying should be "Pardon our arrogance." Um, just, uh, just the people. So many irrational fans. Another just. Unbelievable! They think they're going to be great every year. Talk smack, then they end up being bad. And always, there's always excuses, no matter what. There are always excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter. If Jim Harbaugh had a hangnail. Jim Harbaugh. Oh, oh, there was raining. Oh, oh, it was a fluke play. Oh, the the refs were bad. Oh, the, go ask him in the nineties, the late nineties too. How many people had Tom Brady jerseys then? Your savior was Drew Hinson, who was a tweener, baseball player, football savior, and. Your backup quarterback ended up being the guy that's one of the greatest winners of is the greatest winner of all time in the NFL. But you'd think that there was no other quarterback at Michigan for twelve years than Tom Brady. Mm, that's because they haven't had a quarterback. Yeah, true, the quarterback whisperer there who hmm, might yeah. be on his last leg. Who knows? But with his black sweatshirt, preseason top five though. So um, off season awards, you guys can win them all, but you can't win the big one. September Heisman's king of September Heisman. Denard Robinson, Devin Gardner, yeah, lots of September mm-hmm. Heisman's. Mm-hmm. Um, Tate Forcier. Um, Quietest big stadium ever. Only gets bigger every year because the numbers come closer together. It's a one cheek stadium. You can't weigh more than a buck fifty to fit in there. I won't go there ever again because of that. Well, my favorite thing that Michigan fans say is Michigan State's not a rival to them mm-hmm. um, when they obviously get so butthurt and when they lose and then when they when they beat us so they get all up in your face like, uh, well, because you can't beat Ohio State first and foremost. Right. But you also, you're just so stuck in the past. Um, yeah, their their fan base is built on Bo Beckler days and you might want to check that at the gate, fellas. Do a little bit of research on what's going on with that whole thing. But that, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything else. But we'll We could on. go on and on about that, but we'll, we'll, we'll cut it off there. All right, fourth down. We are in the thick of golf season, of course, so it's time to review another new course. This week it was Clearbrook in Saugatuck, Michigan. Um, I'll give you a little bit of overview, and then Ryan and I will kind of go back and forth here. Um, I dug this little gym. It's my first time playing it. Not a super long course, Um Kind of parts hilly, woodsy, fair, but not easy. It was in really good shape. It reminded me, for people from the Grand Rapids area, of Silver Lake Country Club here in Rockford back when it was a thing and in good shape. Um, One of those places that isn't huge on the wow factor by any stretch, but it's one of those places you could play multiple times a week and not get tired of it. In fact, a lot of the guys in front of us were clearly quite regular players there. Um, They all had their own power push carts and remote control gadgets and stuff and everybody knew them by name um uh, plus for me aside from a horrid stretch on 10 through 13 i actually played it quite well including a 39 on the front and anytime you're gonna shoot in the 30s and play well uh at least for nine holes on a course you're, you're gonna like it so that's my overview ryan how about your thoughts yeah uh i think this is my fourth time playing uh like you said sneaky good good course it's a really fun layout. The front nine's really hilly. 
Uh, a lot of, some of the holes are pretty similar, but the back nine is kind of fun uh, mix of links and then some in the woods kind of looks a little up north-ish, a little poor man's uh, pilgrim's run. Uh, but the greens were in really good shape. They're not overly fast or anything, but really green, um, pretty true. Um, you know, I think if you haven't played it, you should give it a go. It's not terribly expensive either. 120 which is nice. bucks for I mean, two with a cart. Not terrible. Um, pretty quick pace of play, which is nice. Um, I like the back-to-back -back par fives on the front. Uh, I think that's an interesting touch. And the one, I think, is at five. It's really interesting hole. Um, but my favorite hole on that course is number 12. It's a par five, kind of straight to a dog leg right at the end. Really fun. Um, always always hit good shots, good drives, and then always mess up with the second one. But still a fun yeah, hole. A hole. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely come back and play that one over and over again. Um, you can play it from different tees to make it uh, longer more interesting but yeah definitely a course that i want to keep playing yeah and i'll go uh, best hole for me i'll go with you talked about number five so to picture it you know it's a short par five easily reachable yardage wise but you got to be in the center of the fairway because even if you're i was just a step into the left rough and i was blocked out um it's one of those where it's probably what like ryan 470 yards yeah, maybe, maybe even. um you know and it's got a drop off at about probably the 150 yard mark and only really like a 50 yard layup area for a, a decent second shot if you're in play you could go for it if you can shape a shot you could go for it in two but it's protected by the clear brook it's um, got weeds and you know kind of rough area like that in front and around the the brook and then it's got trees to the right um, you know, a road on the other side of the green. So it's, it's you know, you could go for it, but you got to be pretty accurate because it's a fairly small green. Um, you know, I it's like one of those ultimate risk-reward holes because it's definitely short enough for guys like us, you know, mid-handicappers to be able to get to it in two. But again, you've got to be accurate on both your shots to do it. Um, you know, and the second shot was not a cupcake. Just in that left rough, I mean, it's blind. You got to drive up there and see, and your landing area is like a postage stamp, and you're hitting. It's probably a thirty to forty foot drop from where you are up top, too. So you have to really judge that yardage, otherwise you can get in trouble and put up a big number in a hurry. So that would be my favorite hole, um, Ryan. How about any holes that you would skip or change or replace? Yeah, you know, I think all these are pretty unique. Um, a hole that I'm not too fond of, I'm trying to think of one. I, I don't know. I, I like them all. I mean, they're all fun. I mean, you got that 110-yard par yeah, there's, three, so there's variety yeah, there. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of short holes. There's a lot of long ones, medium range. So I, 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 I like it the way it is. Yeah, I can't say that I'd really dump any of them. I mean, I got an eight on number 10 since I hit one right off the tee into the water and then absolutely chunk duffed one into the water and quickly escalated to an eight but that was user error so i can't really dump any of them uh greens wise i'll rate them i'll say you know they're small which makes it i think that much more fun a little bit more challenging but they're receptive they're in good shape they're not overly fast but they're not slow either and they did roll pretty good i'll give them a 3.5 how about you on the greens right yeah same 3.5 Variety. I mean, I think it was a good little mix. Ryan talked a little bit about it. I mean, you had your hills on the front nine, especially. You had some short par five, you know, it, some short holes. The course itself is not overly long. You had par fives that were not long, but they're, you know, thinking holes. A great stretch on the back really amps it up. I mean, I think about your favorite hole, number 12, that one ate my lunch too. That's a really difficult hole. Yeah. That, like, the series of holes there between... 12 and 17 and even 18 um there really is not any bad holes on there so you know it's a good good little change ups and variety one monster par four that's as long as a couple of the par fives so changes it up i'll give it a 3.75 how about you on variety yeah, I'll, I'll go 3.8 just to be different scenery you know nothing spectacular obviously we're used to like the arcadia bluffs and this weekend we're heading up to garland to play three courses i suspect there'll be some some scenery up there but definitely a solid parks type of course um, I'll give it, a, you know, just an average three out of, you know, one to five here. Overall, I liked it. I'd join and play a course like that four days a week easily if I was older. I mean, I could see why those old guys like to play it because they could move up and play the golds. They could even move back and play the blues. And it's not 7,000 yards from the blues. So it's it's gettable or you could switch up the tees or whatever. So 
um, you know, that adds the variety, but, you know, from the scenery perspective, again, not, not great, but not bad either. How about you for scenery? Three. And then, uh, you know, overall, nothing obviously really was a standout, although we can talk up a couple holes. It was a good experience, so I'll give it a 3.75. Like I said, a course that I would I would definitely play multiple times. Yeah, 3.9 for me. All right. Let's end, as we always do, with a sprint. Number one, Ryan, one British open course in the Rota that is a must-play for your bucket list. Yeah, I'm going to be boring, but the home of golf, St. Andrews. You can only grill one thing the rest of your life. What is it? It's got to be a steak. If you could have only one ever, an ace or a double eagle on a par five, what would it be? I, it has to be a hole in one. A double eagle would be cool because it's through under par, but a hole in one would just be surreal. And best non-main character on Seinfeld. I see it's yours, and it's mine too, Frank Costanza. <laughs> Yeah, my British Open course, I'm the same like father, like son. It's got to be St. Andrews, home of golf. Really, any of them are fine. I'd love to just go play the whole road on a trip. That'd be sweet. But i got to go back to St. Andrews. I mean, that's where it started. Only one thing you can grill. Again, like father, like son, I'll get a little bit more specific, and I'll go New York Strip. For me, I want one more ace. I've already had one. We've talked about that here on the pod before. I've had an eagle hole out from like 150 yards on a par 5. A double eagle would be sweet because it probably means it's like a 250-plus type of shot. But give me one more ace at least. Uh, And same, best non-main character on Seinfeld. There's actually a lot of them. But you cannot beat R.I.P. Frank Costanza. All right, Ryan, give us some final social media reminders. Yep, uh, follow us on Twitter at the Final Score 35 Give us what you want to hear, um, and we'll do it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. That's it for this week. As Ryan said, make sure that you jump on our Twitter, share your ideas, likes, dislikes, all that good stuff. If you got a hot topic for us to debate, we always ask, so let us know. Like to change in format? Give us feedback. Want a topic raised? Let us know. Next week, we'll have a golf trip to recap and a special guest to talk Olympics. We'll talk British Open. We'll get into another position review. We'll have plenty to cover. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, remember, you have the chicken, the hen, and the rooster. Chicken goes with the hen. So who is having sex with the rooster?